This is Grief and Pizza, a podcast exploring the highs and lows at the intersection of business and emotional well-being. This week, we're talking to Sarah Campbell, the writer behind Tiny Revolutions and the coach behind The Fire Inside. Sarah Campbell, so awesome to be here with you today. I know that we have followed each other on the Twitter sphere. I think that's maybe how we know each other and through the foster community, right? Which is something that you are a part of currently. So for anyone that doesn't know who you are and know about your work, I'd love to hear a little bit about maybe how you think about your work, how you refer to yourself. I know you've got this incredible coaching program and I want to dig into kind of the nature metaphor. We're going to get into that, but I would just love to Mm. kind of hear you describe a little bit about the work that you do today. What's lighting you up right now? Yeah, Um, it's really, I'm really glad you're asking me at this point in time, because there have been many points in time where it was not really clear. Um, But I feel like in the last couple of years, I've really arrived at my mission, which is just to help people develop a really strong relationship with themselves um, and learn to hear and listen to ourselves. And that kind of um, plays out in pretty much every corner of my life at this point. Um, I am, like you mentioned, a coach where I have a coaching program for women that I'm working on, uh, getting off the ground. I'm a part of foster, which is an online writing collective and community of practice for, um, writing from a place of deep personal truth. Um, and I also am on the board of directors of the angel city Zen center. So I've been a practicing Zen Buddhist for about five years now. Um, really involved in that community, which is all about meditation and, you know, self-inquiry and all that. Um, and then I write a newsletter called Tiny Revolutions, which is a sometimes embarrassingly personal uh, newsletter about just kind of all my ups and downs um, that I started writing, I guess about, actually, it's almost six years now, which is crazy to me. But um, that all of these things are kind of heart centered projects. Um, but after a career of many years in startups and the corporate world and all of that stuff. So it's taken me quite a while. Um, but I finally do feel like, Oh, wow, there's a through line. So it all makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One of the phrases I love on your website is you say that you help people become who they are. And I thought we could dig into this a little bit because I want to know kind of what that means to you. And what it means for us to kind of get off track, right? Mm. Like, what does it mean to stop or to start maybe becoming something different? And what does it mean to kind of come back to who we are meant to be? So I'd love to kind of hear your, how you arrived at that phrasing, because it's very relatable and understandable, but I'm sure there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Um, You know, it's funny because I... I use that. I've been using that for my newsletter descriptor for a while now. And I don't remember the point at which I was just like, here it is, you know, as writers, we tend to overthink all these things. But at some point I was like, okay, this is it. I probably got it from Zen practice at some point. Um, But I think becoming who you are is we, at least I, at some point, you know, earlier in my life, I had this idea that I had to build myself into something. Um, And I think what's become clearer to me and kind of how I got on the path I am is that it's actually not so much that I have to build myself. It's that I have to remove all the layers of things that I am not and just let what's there at the bedrock um, just be, which is a really long and uncomfortable process. And, um, you know, one of the big parts of my journey that I didn't mention earlier is that since I was a kid, I had pretty, um, I had some really big episodes with depression, serious depression. Um, and that I really had to work through. So I was kind of forced into this type of work. But, you know, the more time and time and time, time and time again, the more I find that I'm trying to perform or be something for someone else, I'm, I start to get completely off track for, 
for what I want. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that for me is sort of the practice is like, you know, and it gets confusing because it's like, I like to help others. I like to serve. I've been in client service in one way or another for most of my career. And I enjoy that. Um, but, uh, I have, I can't, you know, I can't lose sight of me or, um, everything starts to go to shit. Yeah. I'm curious if, if this is part of maybe why you were drawn to the Zen Buddhism and maybe that tension between the sort of entrepreneurial world where you're sort of feeling like I need to position and present myself a certain Mm -hmm. way. And then the Zen Mm -hmm. Buddhism, I'm curious kind of what lessons have you drawn from both or what tensions exist between lessons from this over here and lessons from this over here? Like, how do you think about the relationship between those two? Yeah. Um, it's a great question. I think when I came to Zen, I had been practicing mindfulness in secular ways for a very long time. Um, and I recognized just as like a classic overthinker, which I think probably most of us that are listening to this podcast are, you know, really good brains that do a lot for us, but also can really work us ties into knots. Um, just the whole uh, philosophy of meditation, you know, like these are just thoughts that you don't have to take them seriously. You don't have to do anything right um, was such a world changing concept for me. And then coming across a practice like Zen, where you really kind of just have to do the meditation, you really kind of just have to do the sitting was what made it, you know, it's like in the practice, that concept came to life. And so what was such a massive relief about it was like, you know, in Zen, the Zen style of meditation is you sit on a cushion, you stare at the wall and you keep your eyes open. You don't even close them. So it's really just like, the practice is just a radical acceptance of like whatever is right here, which is like sounds outside. I'm uncomfortable, you know, whatever it is. Um, And there was such a relief in that because it was like, I don't have to perform. I don't even have to be turned around looking at anyone right now. This is just me um, just being, um, which for what I think of, you know, for myself, I think like classic trier, that's the entrepreneur in me. It's like, I want to do stuff. I've been flinging myself into doing all kinds of stuff since I was young. Um, It took a long time for me to accept that that was just part of my being, but it didn't mean that I had to make myself into someone else to do it. It was Mm -hmm. like, try and just uncover what's true for me and go after that as opposed to like, oh, I need to become the vice president of something because it'll impress, which is what I did for a long time. It was like climb ladder to impress others. And then the radical shift in my life was like, no, 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 we're not trying to make, we're not trying to impress others. We're trying to impress ourselves here Mm. um, or at least get clearer about what we're here to do. I took a note here about one of your recent Tiny Revolutions um, broadcasts that you said, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it. The specificity of other people's ambitions often confuse me. And then you kind of talk about like this idea of like, how do people set their sights on this thing? And they're like, that's the thing I'm becoming. And then you kind of ended it like, how could you know that you wanted to be a doctor if you don't actually know what caring for a patient is? What's involved in the in the experiential part of becoming that thing? And you finish it by saying the desire came in the doing and the people I encountered in the process. And I think that's really beautiful. So like, you know, I think, yeah, we struggle a lot with this, this having this very specific outcome in mind. And, but there's like all this interesting stuff in the, in the process that we're ignoring, like, um, another entrepreneur friend of ours, Thomas Frank talks about this a lot where he's like, okay, so you want, you want to be a big YouTube creator. You want to have this audience and so on and so forth. Here's what 
here's what a day-to-day -day life in that creator looks like. Do you want to do all those things? No, you don't want to do those things. You know, um, it's so how, how is that? How has that shaped you over the years? Because it feels like you've got like all these different feelers and they're all kind of like, they all come from the same place, but like being in discomfort all the time and not having a clear goal, but being mm. like feeling centered in that, in that mm -hmm. progress, it, it, it kind of shows in your work really obviously. And from my perspective, at least, um, how's that, how are you in that journey right now? Mm. Uh, well, thank about, thank First of all, thank you. That's a really nice compliment. Um, yeah, and you know, I have to say that I think that, um, a lot of just how I've arrived at where I am is that I just tried so many things and because I have been, you know, I'm like such a, I was like a little accomplisher, you know, it was like, I got the straight A's and I was on the varsity team or, you know, whatever. And I did all the things that you're supposed to do. Um, and had so many experiences where I was like, okay, I did that, but like, now what, you know, or like just feel, I remember having this really, I worked for, um, when I lived in New York, you know, many years ago, I worked for Sony corporation and I did this huge event, um, at the museum of modern art, which was like, I was kind of like a project manager for an event, not a huge deal, but you know, for me at the time I was 25 or 26 or something like that. And I remember walking out of there and it had gone perfectly and like everything had gone to plan. It was such a big deal. And I was like, huh. And I was like, wait a minute. Okay. This is not like, I should feel king of the world, queen of the world right now. Um, which I guess in some ways I did, but it was like, I think after having a lot of those types of experiences, I started to question. It's like, well, let me really pry into this. Like, let's say I run the marathon. Um, how long is that going to, you know, how long is the feeling of peak accomplishing mm. going to last? And it, which doesn't mean that you don't get it, but it's more, I just started to pry into those things. And I think um, where I am now is that <laughs> I feel somewhat unkillable because I'm trying now um, to just do things because they're in some ways just like emerging from what, you know, these practices that I do to kind of stay close to myself, um, which doesn't always mean that they're like stuff I enjoy. A lot of times they're really not stuff I enjoy, but just kind of have to do. Um, but I think I'm only able to keep all these different plates spinning because I'm not so attached anymore to them really being successful. Um, yeah. Do you work with a lot of women as well who are maybe in that sort of achiever mentality? And it's like, mm. if I just hit that next milestone, then I'll feel satisfied. If I just mm -hmm. hit and we keep moving those goalposts. So I'm curious, do you attract people that are kind of have maybe gone through that similar journey where you're like, wait a second, how do I yeah. enjoy the work more and get away from this achievement mentality? Yeah. I'm, well, I'm trying to, and I think that is kind of my vibe. Um, you know, a lot of the, most of the coaching clients I've had to date are just people that read my newsletter and I'll mention that I coach every once in a while and get some people that will reach out. Um, and sometimes it is like what you typically find with coaching, um, is that there's an event or there's something that sort of precipitates why someone would want to make this leap, you know, like there's, um, you know, they get laid off from a job or they realize they need to make a career change or there's a big breakup or, you know, somebody dies, whatever. Um, and I think that definitely is a point at which you're like, what is this all there is? Like, there's got to be more. And so there is that period, but point. But I think also I, I there was at one point I was using in the newsletter. And I still will say this, even though it's somewhat offensive at this point, is um, I always thought that I was for high functioning, crazy people. 
um, where it was like people that, you know, there's a certain level of like, just where I, from where I sit and kind of where the, a lot of people that I sit, that I end up working with are people that are highly capable and competent individuals. And then they just reach this point at which they're like, okay, I've realized that I have a lot of power and I, and I am able, I have a lot of agency. I'm able to make things happen. And so how do I use my powers for, um, for good, but like also for just like more depth, more meaning, um, and, a you know, just like a, a richer life for myself. What prompted you to formalize the coaching practice? Mm. Um, you kind of mentioned that, you know, you're coming across these clients as, you know, hey, I, I sometimes coach. This is cool. Like if you want to like reach out. But that is that is that part of that desire to go deeper for yourself there and that in formalizing mm -hmm. it and saying like, yeah, this is actually this is actually me. And and this I'm is more this. <laughs> more a part of my practice now. Like what what was the what was that journey like? Well, this is where we start to go deeper into the conversation and grief and pizza might come up. But um, mm. I think that, it, you know, I had a big event in my life last year where my mom passed. And um, a lot of, you know, a lot of the way that I think about my life is, um, especially the, you know, my younger years, I felt like it was sort of a reaction to my mom's life. So my mom um, had nine kids. I'm from like this big Irish Catholic family. Um, she never, you know, she worked as a teacher when she was young and then she spent most of her life was raising kids, you know, and grandkids. And she loved that. Um, but it came at a big cost because she didn't do a lot of the work to get to know herself and put mm. herself first and take care of herself. And so that has ended up being a lot of the work that I've learned that I've had to do to kind of thrive in this insane chaos, right. Is really learn to, um, take care of myself and, and, um, look out for me. Um, and so when she passed, and I had a lot of conversations with her about this, um, but when she passed, it became more of a calling where I was like, you know, there's a lot of women out there who I think um, I can help. And, you know, I understand I've walked this path before. I mean, I think you'll see, you know, you see a lot among people in sort of healing professions, teaching professions is that we create the medicine that we need the most for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so that, that very much feels like what the fire inside is. Um, and what I'm working on. And, you know, it's like, you know, I had a really hard time in my late twenties, early thirties. And I, and I think about that person and it's like, what would I help them with? Um, which is not to say that it's not, you know, it's not just for people at that age, it's for any age. That's just kind of the, the me in that time is like my ideal customer in some ways. Mm -hmm. It's like the, um, if you want to learn something, teach, right? Totally. Yeah. And that's the other component. Uh, thank you for saying that is because like, I have to do this work like this never ends. So a lot of this is just like, Hey guys, I'm going to be over attending my fire. Do you want to come do it with me? And I'll teach you what I know. Kind of mm. that's, that's like the, you know, I very much try to think of it as like just being hand in hand with people that are also high functioning, crazy people and maybe need some help, um, getting out of their own way. Yeah. Oh. I, you even said that recently. I, I have another note here about you said something about, you know, your work is never, never finished. You're always doing the work and um, you related it to the, the Bodhisattva vow. Mm. Do you think you could like define that for our guests and kind of what that means to you? And like, how has, how yeah. is that like incorporating that the Buddhist uh, mindset, uh, like, like kind of evolve the work that you're doing and the way that you see your responsibility as a coach? Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there are actually a lot of parallels, I think, between Buddhism and um, coaching as a discipline. Um, Joe Hudson, who was on your, you know, on your podcast, who I really love that interview, um, he was great. And I don't know that he spoke directly to it, but it was like a lot of stuff where I was like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, both of those things, coaching and Buddhas or, you know, and Zen are, they maintain that inherently you are perfect as you are, right? And so um, it is, you know, we all have Buddha nature and it is um, on us to treat ourselves and everyone else with respect and care and thoughtfulness, mindfulness, all these things. Um, the Bodhisattva vow is a vow that says beings are numberless. I vow to save them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Um, Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to surpass, or, you know, it's, I mean, I just garbled that last one. It's like Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I, I vow to become it, something like that. But in right in there in the vows are, you know, Bodhisattva is a, is a being and Jesus was thought to be a Bodhisattva, for example, um, who is um, who has vowed to help others before they go across to wherever, you know, whatever that is. But um, part it, you see it right there in the vow that um, the work is never over. Like it's like and it's never you know, it's like you never get to the top of the mountain, but it doesn't mean you don't climb the mountain. It just means that there's like a clarity um, that this never, this is just, this is just how it is, right? One of the things I, I really appreciate and I thought might be kind of fun to talk about is there's an aspect of sort of living out loud, right? Like you've been publishing on the internet and publishing this thinking, struggles, whatever it is that you're doing. Um, and as, you know, someone else that creates content, you know, Ben and I trying to live out loud, put our content out there. It's a super vulnerable thing to put your your thinking, your experience, your struggles out there um, and just the fact that you know you are in the the foster community and that's a big part of the work that you're doing there i just love to know a little bit more about how you navigate that uh sharing you know do you ever feel like you need to censor what you're thinking because you're you're still going through it or maybe that's mm. sharing too much information do you ever ha- you know struggle to navigate that line of sharing too much or do you kind of put it all out there how do you think about how you show up on the internet mm-hmm. yeah it's a good question i i I was much, I would say that as much as I share, there's a lot I hold back and that I don't share. So there's a lot of discernment in what I'm willing to put out there. Um, I think a lot of my ability to share freely is due to having been doing work, having done work in community for a very long time. So before I started writing Tidying Revolutions, um, I had been taking writing workshops for like 15, 20 years. Um, and when you write and read a lot, especially if you're working with writers who write creative nonfiction, which was my, you know, craft area, um, there are no surprises, you know, it's like humans are humans. Like you could say the most fucked up thing you could possibly think of and people will be like, Oh, totally. You know, (laughs) it's like, yeah. Or either they're nodding, nodding along or they're thinking of a friend or whatever. And so, you know, there's some level of just like putting the reps in and realize that there's kind of not that much you can say to shock people at this point, which means, you know, you're not so different from everyone else. Um, but then also, um, doing the work in community with, uh, well, foster clearly doing, but also Zen practice, um, you can start to, I don't know. It's like you, you develop the muscle where it's like, yeah, I can say something scary, but, um, it's usually not as scary once other people hear it because they'll be like, Oh my God, thank you for saying it, you know? And that was, 
my earliest, uh, the earliest impetus for starting Tiny Revolutions was actually because I had a business fail. Um, and I'd gone into this deep depression after it because I'd walked away from it and was just like crushed and I needed somewhere to put my energy. And so I started writing about my experiences with depression. I didn't write about the startup. I didn't write about anything. I just wrote about what it felt like to be depressed because I was like, why do people, why did not people more, or why do more people not talk about it? Like, this is clearly something that affects people. It was right after Anthony Bourdain and um, Kate Spade had killed themselves. And it was like, these are like, some of the most incredible, creative, wonderful minds. Um, and it's right there, you know? So I started writing really from a raw place and even just those earliest issues, which are really not, you can go back and read them. They're not like masterworks of art, but they were saying something true. Um, and I think they really hit a nerve for, or struck a chord with a lot of people that were reading it because it just has been and continues to be pretty rare to hear people really speak honestly about what they're going through. Mm. Um, you know, on that front. Yeah. I know yeah. you've mentioned um, having some sort of crash, crash and burns, you know, over the years and how you've really developed a resiliency in yourself and in your business. Are you willing to share maybe a little bit more about like some of those little breadcrumbs of those crash and burn moments or kind of like what you've learned from those moments that you've been able to take forward into your coaching practice mm. today? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the one that comes to mind is funny. Um, so I had a startup that I co-founded with, um, two friends of mine. One was, um, one was a woman that I actually had worked for, um, years ago in public relations. I worked at Bank of America. Um, and she'd been my manager there and we'd become friends, really smart, great person. Um, and then another friend of mine who was a software developer. And so he was kind of our CTO and we built this, um, we built basically a beta version of an app that was like uh, beauty product recommendations between friends. So the idea was like, you know, this was like six or seven years ago. I actually still think someone, people are doing this in different ways, but um, the idea was, you know, you can't really trust online reviews, but who can you trust? Like people you actually know. So it was like, why don't we find a place for that? And it was really fun. It was a great, you know, I'd worked at many startups for a lot of years, but it was my first experience trying to build one of my own and putting together the product and all that stuff. Um, and with friends. So fun. And with also friends. pretty unique. Yeah. So fun. Um, and basically, like, without getting into the details, uh, my co-founder who had been my old boss and my other co-founder and I had... Um, just very deep differences of opinion about how to take it forward. So we got to a point where we had put together this beta and had like a little community and, you know, had some pretty good metrics where we had, you know, put together a deck, we're going to raise a seed round and me and the CTO were just like, so at odds that it was like, if we do raise money now, we're tied to this person who has an extremely difficult, different way of thinking about it. Um, and it was just like, I think I had enough clarity to know at that point, because um, I'd been, you know, I'd been through a few different startup crashing and burning type experiences that I was like, this is as far as I've ever gotten with something like this, but it would only get harder and more gnarly once that kind of money was involved. Right. And so I made this really difficult decision to walk away and ended my relationship totally with, with mm. um, my co-founder. I still haven't talked to her. Um, and I'm sure at some point we will, she's a great person. Um, but yeah, it was like, I think what I learned from that was anything that I'm going to do has to be more emergent from like what I genuinely care about, which while I thought that was a great 
um, product idea. Do I, at the end of the day, actually care that much about beauty product recommendations between friends? Maybe not. That you're willing and to go so... all in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like, is this the hill I'm prepared to die on? Mm. Um, and, you know, you, I'm sure you could, like, extrapolate and put any number of different meanings behind that. But when I really, when I really kind of backed up and, like, came back to me, it was like, this isn't it. You know, this isn't the one. And so that, I think was helpful in that, you know, I got further than I had ever gotten in terms of building a product and a community. Um, but I also got, you know, there was so much I learned about, I was, you know, you, it's like, you look back on an experience like that and you're like, wow, I was wildly naive about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, That's where all the juicy learning comes from, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. But yeah, just coming out of that one, it was a real clarifying experience. And I was like, yes, love to build, love to create, no, um, you know, very clarifying experience in terms of like, what really would I, you know, what's my ride or die mission, which I think I'm much closer to now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I've been in a, in a similar kind of position for quite a few years because we, prior to founding Notion Mastery, we had a, a SaaS platform for online courses mm -hmm. and we ran that for a long time and, and we didn't really have like, I didn't really have any interest in like building an online course at that point. So it was like, it was more like solving a problem that I wasn't super invested in. And then like we decided to sunset the platform just cause it was like, it was like more of a content creation thing than an actual application. And then now that we have Notion Mastery, I often get like these like pangs of like, I hear people asking for these things and I'm, and I think about like, oh, I could solve that problem with my old software that I build or make this new thing with it. But then I think I, I always get sniped on those, like on the problem solving versus like, what does it actually mean for me to solve that problem? Um, and like, so I, I sometimes get stuck in this decision-making process of like, should I start working on this thing? Cause I like, is it really something that it's like, that I feel like, it's like just I cause could... you can, doesn't yeah. mean you need to be the one to solve yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Marie yeah. even made, Marie even made that, you made that amazing notion template for, uh, for beauty, like for like <laughs> the like, beauty products. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like comparing like the, the stuff that's in the products and being able to like almost like a self recommendation mm -hmm. engine. And now it's like, there's so many of these interesting no code tools. You could develop something like that for yourself. Uh, but yeah, it's an interesting journey. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, I think that's an interesting thing that you bring up about Marie, you making this template, you know, um, because I think where I'm trying to get to with the becoming who you are is that you get back to a place where it's like you only do these things because you kind of have to do them. So it's like if something emerges from you because you're like, Oh, totally, we need this. And I'm just going to whip it. You know, that's one thing. But it's like, if you get yourself into the situation where you're like, I could do this, right? Like I totally could build this. I have done it before. I fall into this trap all the time, by the way, because yeah. I have done so many things to pay the bills over the year, especially as a writer. That's like one of my core competencies. So people will come and be like, Hey, we need a writer on such and such. And I'll be like, and then I'll be like, wait, but mm -hmm. it is, it does come back to that. Like, and I think this is a, is a function of getting older too, is that you're like, realistically, my energy is somewhat limited. So if I do that, then I'm draining, then I'm taking a huge pull of energy from this that would probably better be diverted to something that's way more close to the center. Mm. Um, and it's obviously not perfect. And I take little, you know, I'll do little odd jobs here and there if they think, if they seem fun or like not too taxing. But I think that whole, I think just what, like 
coming back to that, like I can, but should I is where the, is where that like getting really close to yourself thing yeah. really makes such a difference. I was laughing about this the other day because I, I wrote this Ruby script that automatically takes all of our Stripe transactions, breaks them down into every payment, figures out where that person was, and then auto explains it in our bookkeeping software, attaches invoices. And my and after I did it, I was like so amped up and like, oh, I solved this interesting programming problem because that's the kind of stuff that gets me really excited. And then I was like, oh, this could definitely be a SaaS because this is a hard problem and people would really like this. And then I immediately was like, uh, okay, bookkeeping is the thing that I hate the most doing in life. So that's not a place Taxes that I Taxes and like, compliance. Ooh, I let's could, do more yeah. of that. So yeah. it's like, abs absolutely, this is a great thing that for me to solve and I could do it and I know it really well now, but I'm like, but is that where I want to live? I, I want to live in the taxation and the compliance zone? Like, oof, no. So it was an easy, an easy no for me. And I think, you know, as you develop that, you know, discovering who you are, it, it makes it easier to make those decisions, even though they at, you know, from an outsider's perspective might seem like, well, that's, that's a really awesome money-making opportunity. And it's nice to be able to say, yeah, don't care. Don't want to do yeah, that. <laughs> totally. Totally. It's like someone should do that, you know, just not mm -hmm. me. You, well, you mentioned you know. energy. And so I, I just mm -hmm. would love to chat about this a little bit too, because um, as someone with ADHD, I have to be mm -hmm. very, very mindful of how much energy things take. And so I'm curious, you know, like you said, as we get older, we have to be more mindful about this. There's only so much time we have in the day and energy that we have in the day. Not every task is equal. And so I'm curious if you have your own kind of internal decision-making, mm -hmm. you know, framework for how you think about, you know, I only have this many hours where I'm on per day, or, you know, I'm kind of curious, maybe getting into the weeds a bit of how you think about your time or maybe structure mm -hmm. your days and, and how that looks when you think about what you take on or don't take on. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I I wish I had like a clear system that I could point to, and I've actually seen your um your course or you know some of the guidance that you've you've put out, and I'm like, okay, I should totally do that. I don't have ADHD that I'm aware of, but do I think I would benefit? Yes. Um, <laughs> my sister has really bad ADHD, so maybe you know maybe there's a touch. I don't know how it works, but um, I really kind of at this point just operate from a more intuitive sense. Like I'm pretty, um, I am very committed to the things that I sort of think of as keeping me sane, which are exercise, um, you know, mindfulness type practices, whether it's, you know, Zen meditation or other stuff, um, and having some kind of quiet, uh, at some point in the day. And so I kind of build my life around making sure I do those things because I think my quality of life sort of precipitously declines if I do not. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I think about, you know, there's also, Day to day, it's a little different, but one thing that is major for me is the menstrual cycle. Like there is a week of the month where strategic thought is not happening in my brain. My my mm. co my colleagues at Foster know um, because I'm just like, sorry, you know, like it's week three I know, guys, <laughs> yeah, like I don't know what to tell you. It's just not you know there, and I feel extremely grateful that I can actually openly talk about like to me, talk about things that are shocking in life. I never thought I would ever talk about this stuff publicly, but <laughs> when it comes to energy, there's a really wonderful writer um, thinker named Kate Northrup, and I can't remember the name of her book off the off the top of my head, but she's got a whole thing on um, cycle, you know, energetic work according to your cycle. And like, she's got this soundbite, I think that's like men operate on like a 24 hour cycle and women mm, are yeah. on the monthly cycle. And that, that, that has been super helpful. Um, I can't always, 
map my workload to it, but at least awareness, you know, of where I am, like is a lot of the way for like me having patience with myself, grace with myself when I'm not, you know, it's like, there are just times where I'm not tip top. And so I have to, and so I used to beat myself up for that terribly, especially in the agency world where deadlines would happen. And I would just be like, it would be like beating myself against the wall, but I don't, I don't do that. I try to roll with the roll with it a little bit more these days. How did you, how did you get to that point? Cause I know, it, I think it's, it's an easy thing to be like, Oh, stop beating yourself up, have more self-compassion. Mm. But obviously that's been a practice. Yeah. So, you know, how did you get to the point where you were able to kind of let go of some of these things and sort of make peace mm. with who you are, how you are. Yeah. Is that the Zen Buddhism? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Zen practices definitely happened, help with this a lot. Um, I think it's also kind of what I was talking about before about um, just knowing that you're not the only one that's like this, you know, it's like the less we feel like I'm uniquely fucked up, then the easier it is to forgive ourselves. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, everyone struggles with screen time, you know, like you're not a piece of shit because you spent five hours on your phone yesterday. You're just a person. Right. So there's a well, little they're bit designed of like, to be addicted. They're right? designed like... for you to spend as much, you know, it's like much exactly. time as possible. But I think it's just, um, I do think meditation has been a big one and just like, you just listen to the, you just watch the nonstop stream of like bullshit, you know, that, um, that, you know, and just kind of get tired of it. But I think also what's helped me is just hearing, um, my family is super self-critical, my family of origin. So I've seen a lot of that in my siblings. And, you know, it's like you listen to people talk badly about themselves and you're like, don't say that. Like, you're the best. Like, don't, you know, don't. And, and so it's made me more aware of my self-talk as well, where it's just like, oh, you probably wouldn't want to hear me, um, you know, say something unkind. It's like, imagine if I was like, I was just having this conversation where I'm like, imagining me as an eight year old, like, would you say that to her? Like, come on, you know, mm. let's try to be nice. It's hard though. We talk to ourselves compared to, we would never talk to a friend that way, or that friend would probably never want to hang out with us. And so why do we feel like it's okay to use that kind yeah. of language every day with ourselves? Yeah, but it, I think that's definitely a practice. And I would say a big a big um, person whose work has helped me a lot is um, Dr. Kristen Neff, who you might be familiar with. She is, she's got a, um, I think, I mean, she's a professor. I want to say at UT Austin maybe or somewhere down south, but she's got a whole library of self-compassion exercises and guided meditations and stuff on her website. So um, I've done so like, you know, definitely lots of like SOS, you know, five minute self-compassion break meditations have been super helpful for me. Amazing. And for anyone that's maybe hasn't dipped their toe in the water of meditation or anything like that, like what, what are maybe some of the first exercises or places that you might recommend mm -hmm. folks to just even begin to think a little bit more about that or to, to have that quietness or is there something yeah. like beginner 101 that you could recommend yeah. to someone? Wow. What would I say? I think, um, well, there's so many apps now, which are great. I mean, it's like the deeper you get into meditation, the more you're kind of like uh, apps, they're just trying to steal your attention like anything else, but they're fantastic for kind of educating you about what a, a mindfulness practice even is. So, um, you know, I haven't tried many of them just cause I've done it more in, in the world, but headspace is great. Calm is great. Waking up. I've heard a lot of great things about, 
Um, because there's kind of like, it's like the, the one-on-one concept is that you are not your thoughts, right? If you can detach your thoughts from who you are, you can just sort of watch them, right? And listen to what is going on and just try to be, you know, it's a, it's a practice of becoming more, um, present and just a witness of our thoughts as opposed to like a feeling attacked by them. And that was certainly my story because I had such a harsh, you know, internal, critic and all that. But, um, so I would say like any one of those apps is probably a good idea. Also, I, the way I learned to meditate was just going to a local Shambhala center. This was, you know, I think 2009, um, and just doing like an intro to meditation. Um, you could do that. There's lots of secular places that do it now, but, um, you know, a Zen center is a Zen's kind of jumping right in the deep end, which if you feel called, like go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, what I do find more often is that people will come to it after, you know, as a deepening of practice, but, um, tons, like I'm trying to think of, um, I'm trying to draw, I'm kind of drawing a blank, but like anywhere that just offers meditation instruction, there's tons of different traditions out there. And so like, I think it's more, it's, it's like, everyone's so looking for like the perfect thing or the right Mm -hmm. thing, but really it's just like, go to the place down the street, you know, like go to what's available, just start somewhere. And that comes back to what you were talking about Ben earlier, which is just like, you find things in the doing. And I think that's so much like we have so many choices available to us and so much, you know, um, so much available to us that we get overwhelmed and then we do nothing. But it's really often just like, you know, if you're thinking about like the midwit meme, be the guy on the left or the right, you know, and just like go pick a, pick something and know that whatever happens from there, it happens. Mm. Um, you don't have to have a huge plan. You can just do mm. some stuff, you know, that that's, that's, I think the best to start. I think I really like that from your, your last, um, tiny revolutions you had a a quote that was like my actions are my only belongings (laughs) that feels like it kind of resonates with what you're saying there yeah yeah and i and i i i feel like um i don't know it's kind of interesting because it's sure it's easy for me to say that right now because i'm in this period of time where i'm like i'm at my dad's house i'm a i'm a digital nomad um while i figure out i just left la after like you know 18 years and so i'm kind of figuring out what's next Mm. Yeah, big life big shift. Change. Yeah. And that was also partially inspired by my mom's passing. It was just sort of like, it's time to, you know, venture further out here. But yeah. um, I don't really have a lot of belongings right now. The belongings I do have are in storage. Um, and it's kind of, I mean, this is like a very literal way of interpreting that teaching, but it's just like, you'd be surprised at how little you actually need in order to um, do your thing, especially if you're like us and you have like an email job, you know, and it's like, then it just becomes like, what are the, you know, what is, what is what you're doing? Like, what are you doing every day? Like, that's really what your life is. I love that. So what's next for you? Yeah. What are some of the experiments that you're, uh, and if I might ask as well, yeah, you may be not so goal driven or I'm, I'm don't know if you actually have a, Oh, there's a goal that I want to do this year. Mm. Do you ever set up formal experiments for yourself? Or are you just sort of open to whatever emerges? Or are you like, Q1, I'm going to try this mm-hmm. out as an experiment. I'm curious mm-hmm. how you think about that. Yeah, thanks for the question. Um, I am, tr- there was a while where I was like, no more goals, you know, and that's also a very uh, Zen thing, right? Like, go, <laughs> talk about goalless practice. But I actually do think it's helpful to have 
um, intentions. You know, I think that's the more popular word we're using for goals at this point, but intentions. So I do have intentions. Like in my intentions is like, you know, get tiny revolutions off the, off the ground. Um, the first experiment is just do some workshops to introduce what it, the program entails and, you know, um, see who kind of comes in the door and is curious, right? Like my intention is to launch a group coaching program, um, or to launch my first sort of like cohort, um, in February, probably mid might be more March timeframe at this point, but, um, that I think will happen. I'm also exploring, um, doing something IRL and opening an in-person mm -hmm. practice space. And that could be, you know, the MVP of that might be like, I host a class, um, you know, I, I host a class at a yoga studio or a meditation studio or something like that and start there. Um, but those are kind of the first things. Like the other thing is that, and you guys, I feel like you guys will, will, uh, might have some good stories. So I'm curious, but right now I've got like multiple brands happening. So it's like, I have uh -huh. tiny revolutions and then I'm like, well, now I have the fire inside. And then it's like, but I'm Sarah Campbell, <laughs> you know, and I that's my website. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, where do I, so part of my intention is like, at least kind of put some rails around where I spend my time and how I, you know, where I publish. Cause I also pub, I also am doing quite a lot with foster, which is another project I absolutely love, but, um, you know, fosters its own thing. Cause it's like, that is a collective and I have like a whole team that I work with on that. Um, but then fire inside and tiny revolutions are just me and tiny revolutions will always be me, but the fire inside will probably be a team, um, mm. you know, in the not so distant, distant future. So there's some, um, there's some organization and sort of like thought that I'm putting now into like what those, you know, what comes out in both of those places, um, or in all of those places, that is something I have to untangle in the coming months yeah. slash year. I don't, I don't even think we have, I mean, I definitely don't <laughs> think we have any like advice on that front because our brands are often very confusing. You know, we have, my my personal site and marie mariepullen.com like that's actually the thing that drives a lot of interest mm -hmm. is marie's personal exploration exploration and her own brand is what drives a lot of interest to something like notion mastery and then that so that's our product and we also have okie dokie which is marie and i's business together and the weird thing about okie dokie is that it's we just treat it almost like as an umbrella Mm. um around our two personal brands in fact when we when we were only running okie dokie as a consulting agency uh we effectively ran two independent companies within that brand like i had mm. my clients and marie had her clients and occasionally there would be a a crossover between our clients that would demand that we build something together and that was how eventually we were like we should you know like we should just start a company it makes the you know all the revenue stuff coming into one source. We have one, one tax return and so on and so forth. Mm, mm -hmm. But yeah, we never, we've never really fully resolved that. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> a, a lot of our questioning is like, where does this content belong? Is this Marie? Mm. Is this something, you know, and generally we do, okay, it's notion related. It goes on notion mastery. If it's personal productivity or, or like, you know, personal development, it goes on Marie's site. And I just write weird stuff that doesn't really go anywhere a lot of times. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a tricky, a tricky thing to, to resolve. And I think sometimes there's this, like, is this a brand? Is this a product? Is this a team? Like there's lots of different ways of looking at a thing. And then sometimes we're thinking maybe too far 
out that it prevents us from making a good decision now. So for example, with Notion Mastery, that was just a page on my personal website that's like, hey, I have a product, here's a course, buy it here. And once it grew to a certain point where I was like, ooh, this kind of needs its own like search engine traffic and its own brand, maybe this needs mm. to live on a different URL. So I think I can just relate to the difficulty sometimes where you're like, wait a second, is this just a product that lives under my personal brand and I can hire a team and grow that later and then move that to its own thing. And so that can be a hard thing to navigate when you don't want to get too tripped up in the, like, what's the five year, 10 year plan, you know, totally. and, and you just get moving. Yeah, totally. Yeah. No, thank you for saying all that. It's really interesting because, well, I'm like really thrilled to hear that you're just kind of like, eh, it just kind of goes how it goes and you're able to navigate that because that is one of those things where I am feeling like, oh God, I have to figure this out, but maybe I don't, I don't know. A lot of decisions are not as permanent, I think, as we think they are. It's like, you know what, when you're ready, you can go buy, or go buy that domain, point it to a different website when you're ready. Mm -hmm. Like there's lots of things that uh, they're often not permanent decisions. And so you can always change your mind later. Yes, there might be different challenges, marketing challenges that come along with that, but it's all figure outable for the most part. Mm -hmm. So get the LLC when you're ready to get the LLC. But for now, that can be a page on your site. And so there's lots of different ways I think you could approach it. And none are wrong. They're just going to have different consequences or, you know, yeah. outcome. But it's all it's just like, yeah, you do something and then you do something else based on how that goes, right? Even like experimenting with with this podcast and posting uh, YouTube shorts, and then someone's like, Oh, you didn't add a title. So it just shows the date. I'm like, Oh, well, <laughs> I'll do that, you know, differently next time. And so I think sometimes just taking action um, and being like, oh, okay, that's not quite what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. We can we can shift gears. That's totally fine. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm super, I'm very obsessed with that right now because I even yeah. with the starting the podcast, like we recorded the first episode with Joe and then we sat on it, like we edited it down and we sat on it for like three weeks before we actually published it because we got stuck on this thing of like, well, should we have an introduction episode that like Do we introduces me and how does Marie and I like, <laughs> you know, uh, how, but can we publish the episode? And then if we wanted to add an intro episode later, can we go back and like re like order the episode so that it's first so it doesn't feel like weird. And then so you get stuck on these decisions. And I, you know, and so Marie was like, let's record our intro episode. And I was I was very adamant, like, no, we're going to ship this. What if we and just shipped that's it, it and figured it out it. later? For, we'll figure that out later. And we're not going to worry about it and kind Love of like, it. let it, let it grow. So I think often, yeah, just get something out there. And then and then it can evolve over time. Like most of those things I find are typically technical technical mm -hmm. questions like is this mm -hmm. a sub page on my website or is it a subdomain or is it a full domain like that's a technical question just get it out there even if it's in a notion document or something that has no discernible domain at least you can directly give it to somebody so yeah 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 well i'm curious how long have, have you guys been thinking about the podcast or how did that i know you mentioned it was sort of <laughs> yeah. something that emerged maybe from art of accomplishment but um i was curious yeah when did the first inklings? I think we start created then? we created a project to launch a podcast uh, about two months before we went to Japan for a month. Uh, so this was probably in the summer of last year. Um, and I think I had been on a few podcasts last year, um, and I I always enjoy just talking to people. And then it's like, oh, now we have this cool piece of of art that doesn't require a lot of like pre-planning and pre-thought. And, you know, I think I, 
I'm not as loquacious as as you are, Sarah, with the writing stuff. So like, it it's something in a way. Um, and Barrett kind of highlighted this on uh, the last episode because I sent him a clip of one of the things that he said, and I was like, I am obsessed with this Barrett. It's such a good <laughs> statement. And he said he said something along the lines of, Yeah, oh wow, like I actually said something that I hadn't really hadn't crystallized for me yet. Mm. But now it became this thing that he's like, oh, that's that's exactly it. So we often do a better job at kind of talking out our ideas than actually like imp implementing them and writing about them. Mm -hmm. And so and I think it my desire to do the podcast came. I um, came on a podcast called Crazy Wisdom and I started talking about the direction that Marie and I were taking our business. And after I went back and listened to that podcast, I was like, that doesn't even sound like me. It was so like I was I self-inspired myself to want to move <laughs> forwards. And it was such like, a weird, damn, I'm pretty smart. <laughs> yeah, it was it was such an guy? unlocking. It's such an unlocking for me where you, you can uh, you verbally process things in that way. And that was and that so then I was like, oh, like I want to have these conversations with people so that they can verbally process and and we can have these mm -hmm. conversations and something new can evolve from that and so that just got me really excited and then when we got back from japan we kind of had that you know time warp of uh holiday seasons and we were like all right let's do this let's just let's just book somebody and and joe we had been talking to joe already mm -hmm. and and we're, we just started his great decisions course this mm -hmm. morning which we're really excited about nice. um and he very graciously offered to come on and and that was it so here yeah. we are nice yeah it was and, like the star was like hey i'm here okay mm -hmm. it's a yeah, sign yeah, yeah, and I'll just add too that I think um, you know one of the things I love and appreciate is that Ben and I can have these two-hour-long morning conversations over coffee, and then I'm like, oh man, like so much emerges from those conversations and notes and ideas and product ideas. I'm like, ah, like I wish we'd recorded that. So mm. I was partly like, maybe we should actually record some of these sessions, mm. whether it's a, a solo episode or something or duo episode with the two of us, but there is so much benefit personally to that verbal processing that sometimes you don't even know how you feel about a thing till it's, it's out there. So there's that sort of casual coffee conversations. It's not just business. It's not just personal. It's all kind of intermixed. I'm like, what would it look like if we brought more of these conversations to the light and didn't just kind of have them at our kitchen table? Because like you said, other people are probably thinking about this stuff too. So what does it look like to put your ideas out there and kind of see where there's resonance with other other listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's what's something so interesting about the podcast. Podcast is a medium, you know, um, is that we have, it's like that ability to be sort of fly on the wall. And yeah. I would, I definitely put my vote in the camp of you guys broadcasting some of those discussions because, um, I mean, there's just a lot there and it's like being in someone else's mind and their thought process mm. is so, it's like one of the things that I love about writing it's just being in the company of someone else's mind, but you know, especially the work that you all are doing where there's a lot of creation and um, you know, interesting internet things that nobody's <laughs> really done before coming up, right? So like that's super valuable. Thank you. Yeah. It's it's a just one of our many experiments this year. And uh you know, the word emergence came up, but for me I think that's that's my word of the year is like how can I be mm. more open to things just emerging in a natural way? Uh, collaborations that just sort of present themselves and I'm open to it. So this year is going to be a lot more about experimentation and emergence and less about needing to know exactly what's going to happen each quarter and all that. Mm. Oh, I love that. Um, ben, do you have a word of the year? Yeah, my word of the year is expressive. Um, mm. 
yeah, I've been, and the podcast really is part of that. I think, um, yeah, I think I, I've been same, same with Marie, uh, very focused on outcomes and the things that, um, like I think I should be doing and getting kind of stuck in that mode of creating things that people are asking of me. Um, I'm, I'm sort of an obsessive problem solver. I get very mm -hmm. sniped on when somebody's stuck on something. I'm like, I very Let quickly latch on, latch mm -hmm. on to that. And so it, it feels good to me to like help people get unblocked and move forwards. But I think in a sense over the years, like I've been kind of doing that to my own detriment. And, and so I'm thinking about like, how can I, how can I, solve my own problems and create in that in that respect um instead of solving other people's problems directly and then it's like um i think by sharing what i'm discovering about myself and unblocking myself and sharing those things i hope to have a similar impact on people's lives uh through that work and discovering you know self-discovery versus just uh solving immediate problems so i think there's like a a depth quotient that i'm seeking mm -hmm. um outside of just the the problem solving thing um you know but yeah yeah it's a, I love always, that. A, always a balance yeah well it's like it's funny because like we talk a lot about this at foster because really you know we're right we're for writing just helping you write and get better but it's sort of a trojan horse for self-development mm -hmm. you know yeah. all of it is it's just like what are the things what are the tangible things that you want to do that you're like yeah i want to you know build a product or solve this problem but it's like what do you really want to do you know and mm -hmm. it's really like that, that goes a mile deep so that's super cool yeah yeah and we have a very similar that's kind of how we treat um notion mastery at this point like we have a pretty a pretty good uh system now where we have a a, a cycle of showing up and delivering workshops per month we do office hours and things like that mm -hmm. and so there's kind of a nice little churnal churning along business and so we can use that area and and the space to develop some some of these uh parallel ideas and yeah, I've described it as similar to a Trojan horse. Somebody called it a virus the other day because um, <laughs> we were talking, we were talking about productivity and stuff. And, and I was talking about how, yeah, like, oh yeah, like we find that most of the things that people get stuck on when it comes to productivity are not how do I notion, but the, the stuff around energy management, capacity planning Values, and all this beliefs. different stuff. Yeah. And so we were like, yes, come for the notion, stay for the the this stuff crisis? that like this is the stuff <laughs> yes. totally right totally. so so yeah that's the that's more of like i want to i want to develop more of that side of things the the existential crisis side of things um yeah it's exciting <laughs> fun stuff is yeah love yeah. it what about um, yourself do you have a, a word for the year or a way of framing oh yeah things? my word is action so <sighs> It's kind of right there. It's funny. It's yeah. like that was like a very action-y action word for me to decide upon, um, mm -hmm. which since I'm like, well, emergence would be more elegant, you know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> or whatever. We're just going to do some shit this year. And like, Love you know, it. like I asked about the podcast because like a couple years ago, it's funny. I can go back and look at Tiny Revolutions issues and be like, yeah. But I, I had this whole like concept for a podcast that I then just kept putting off and never did it. And, you know, for mm -hmm. all the reasons that you just cite where it's like overwhelm, you know, procrastination, whatever it was. Um, but I don't know. You're inspiring me. Maybe that'll be one of my oh, actions. Oh, is that something you're is, thinking like, about as a medium? Yeah. Yeah. Bringing it back. Um just, you know, and not even having have to be something, you know, huge, but just more like conversations with really interesting people who are creating stuff, you know. 
I definitely recommend checking out what um, Brett Kistler and Joe Hudson are doing with the Art of Accomplishment podcast. I really like how it's sort of integrated into the program. So they actually do these episodic mm-hmm. series, which are like four or five episodes on the frameworks. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, for example, we just started the Great Decisions course and our first assignment for the weekend is to listen to two podcasts that they've mm-hmm. already produced. So it becomes this beautiful like sequence or not even a sequence, but an ecosystem of like people can listen to the podcast independent of the course and get get these transformational you know learnings. Mm-hmm. But when... What they're actually delivering the the podcast as part of the course and part of the coaching material in a way. So maybe there's a nice little synchronicity there for you where the fire inside could have a podcast and and like week one, uh, check in in the forums, uh, set up your one-on-one with me and go listen to number two podcast, you know? So Mm -hmm. you have like that. It's, it's all sort of part of the same thing, but can be, uh, extracted and and delivered mm-hmm. independently for like even teasers for what kind of stuff you're doing in the in the course and the coaching. And if you're program. already putting your yeah. ideas out there already through writing, it's just yeah. another another yeah. medium, right, to do double mm-hmm. duty. Yeah, totally. It's it's funny because like in some ways I'm just a way better talker, you know, and so yeah, it's yeah. just sort of like I just need to just do it um, all in good and time. And the, the AI tools yeah. as well to kind of extract and do the show notes and all that, like you might even mm. find some of your writing gets easier because you talk it out and then you've got this. Yeah, and it's just there. So the, yeah. Yeah. I vote yes. Yeah. I would. Thank you. Like have you guys subscribe. published your, um, <laughs> have you guys published your like um, tool stack? And I got to run in a second, but ah. your tool stack for producing the, t- the podcast, I personally would be very curious about that. We'll put it together and share it with yeah. you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Sarah. Um, where can yeah. people find out more about uh, the fire inside and tiny revolutions and sign up for your newsletter? The simplest course of action would just be to go to sarahcampbell.co, um, Sarah without an H, Campbell, and um, and you'll see a little bit about me. So newsletter, coaching, Zen stuff, foster, um, it's all there. Um, Amazing. Yeah. Thank you Excellent. so much for having me. I really enjoyed meeting you guys. And um, Yeah, it's been a delight. Yeah. It's great to meet. Yeah. Okay. Amazing. Have a good weekend. See you on the internet. See you on the internet. <laughs> Bye, Bye for now.